0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. We've been on hiatus for a while with Congress out for the midterm elections, but Congress is back beginning its lame duck session. And we want to assess how the midterms shook out, what that means for this, for what they need to do in the next roughly month or so on the fiscal agenda. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and with me to assess what's at stake here is Peter Cohn, the budget and tax policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me, David. So the red wave never really happened. We just found out that Republicans will, in fact, have a House majority next year. But by the slimmest of margins, Maybe they're eating a little humble pie at this point because the Senate Democrats will still be in power. Uh, Republicans will be struggling to govern with a bare House majority. So let's see, what does that mean now for the for the lame duck session? Because the, the biggest thing on the agenda, obviously, is the omnibus spending package that they need to do the, for the, fisc- the current fiscal year. I'm wondering, does it make it easier now for them to cut a deal because... The politics have subsided, and Republicans don't exactly feel empowered by the results of the election. Uh, do you think it makes it a little? Do you think we get a deal a little easier?
1: Well, I don't think the politics have really subsided much. You've got uh, you still got a, a, a huge amount of pressure on the Republican leadership in both chambers. I and mean, let's back up a second and look at what happened um, last week. I mean, really. You know, the, the wave that everybody talked about for the last, at least for the last month or so, it didn't materialize. Although if you go back a couple of months, nobody was really talking about a wave. You know, this is back when abortion was still polling higher in, in, uh, the, on the list of issues that voters cared about. And um, gas prices have been coming down. So it was kind of like the last month and a half or so of punditry got way over its skis. And so I think you kind of have to rewind a little bit. Remember, gas prices have been coming down. Uh, Trump is still not popular in a lot of these suburban areas where, where there are a lot of votes that voters went to the polls and mailed in their ballots. So I think you had a lot of Democrats that ran uh, behind. They underperformed Biden from a couple of years ago. And you had a lot of Republicans. And The Washington Post did a good article about this today. A lot, had a lot of Republicans that overperformed Trump from a couple of years ago. So they didn't come, they didn't quite, you know, turn the, turn the dial completely on a lot of the races. I think Republicans were hopeful about, about turning, um, you know, Fetterman beat Oz in Pennsylvania. And I think that's kind of a real, you know, that was the key right there for, uh, for Democrats. That was the seat they flipped. And, you know, I think, Pennsylvania voters looked at um, Oz as maybe a little bit too close to the, the Trump you know style a little bit and you know there was just this there's just this still backlash against against Trump personally but not really as much the Trump philosophy of government and you know you see that in a lot of these Republicans who are starting to push back there's there's just still this division between, you know you got mitt romney for instance who's this kind of old style republican you know laissez faire capitalism um let's cut spending on entitlements let's cut taxes you know the, the you know free trade without really looking at the uh, necessarily the the impacts on on workers so you know that philosophy did not win out in this election. It's still kind of Trump's party when it comes to the policy. And um, that bleeds over into the budget, which is of course our favorite topic. And so, you know, look at Josh Hawley, who was one of those guys pumping his fist on January 6th last year, Um, rumored as a potential presidential candidate at some point. He's very much kind of in the mold of that Trump policy philosophy. And you know he tweets the day after the election, you know basically I'm sorry, we're not cutting entitlements, okay? We're going to look after the working class. And you know I think and you look at Jason Smith, who's a guy who's who's very much in the running for House Ways and Means Chairman, which Ways and Means has is going to have control over so many of these issues that we follow very closely, on taxes, on entitlements, and and uh, and the debt, and uh, you know these this new mold of Republicans is very much in the mold of Trump when it comes to their governing philosophy. So even if voters kind of rebelled against Trump as a person and as a as a politician, his policies have continued to carry the day within the Republican Party. And so that is really going to bleed over and dominate the next couple of years. Um, and of course, Trump's voters still, car- till, still have a, a very large pull over Um, what the members of Congress end up ultimately being comfortable doing. So when you talk about the lame duck, you've got a potentially very large, almost $1.7 trillion spending bill uh, in the works right now, being cobbled together by uh, several very old school members of Congress, including some who are retiring and really want to get this done before they leave Congress, Senators Leahy and Shelby, for instance. And so there's there's a big backlash again by against that that is affecting Kevin McCarthy's calculus because he's got to run for speaker. He you know he got the vote he got a majority of his conference a very large majority of his conference to support him for speaker, but he's still got to win that speaker vote in January, which requires two eighteen. So he's about twenty votes short of that right now. So any missteps by McCarthy in these in this lame duck. Could cost him potentially. So, you know, I don't think the politics have subsided at all. There's still, uh, you know, a a huge skepticism of the appropriations process, of giant omnibus bills, um, of, you know, targeted tax breaks for certain, you know, look, they're doled out favors here and there um, against, you know, money for COVID. Which the White House just requested ten billion for another ten billion for pandemic re- response efforts, uh, another thirty-eight billion for Ukraine, including a big chunk of economic aid for the for the Zelensky government. Um, <clears throat> you know, these, there's there's still that healthy dose of skepticism within the Republican Party. So, and then you know entitlements. I mean, the demagoguery was coming from both sides on the campaign trail. I mean, every time uh, we talked about the debt ceiling. There was uh, a campaign ad run against Republicans for for, you know, demanding to slash Social Security and Medicare. And then you got senators like Hawley come out and say, we're not touching Social Security and Medicare. That's not how Trump won his election. Um, I mean, I don't I don't think
0: anyone really thinks we're going to see entitlement reform right now. But but in terms of the omnibus, Pete, I mean, they have to get this done in the next month or they certainly want to get it done. I mean wouldn't the odds say they're more likely than not to get it done? Are you really think that that there's still so much you know flack over it from the conservative wing that it gets punted?
1: So we often talk about the four corners when we talk about big deals that can get through you know through both chambers. You need 60 votes in the Senate for appropriations. Um so generally you don't have a deal unless the House Democrats, House Republicans Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans are on board. Now, in this case, McCarthy can't necessarily get too involved in the nitty gritty of a gigantic $1.7 trillion spending bill, right? Because of the pressures we just talked about. But you still got three corners. And Nancy Pelosi is still Speaker, last time I checked, until January 3rd. So, um, I think what you may see happen here is more of a, a tripartite deal rather than a four corners deal that goes to the floor and you have the house Republicans kind of, you know, gently walk away from their, you know, gently remove their fingerprints from the deal, but you'll still have a fair number of house Republicans that vote for it because they like what's in it. They like all the earmarks. There's a lot of Republicans who want to help Ukraine still. Um, You know, there's a lot of good things that are going to be in that bill for their districts. So I think you'll still get a healthy dose of support from the rank and file, but you're not necessarily going to have Kevin McCarthy's fingerprints on it. You're not, you may not even have Kay Granger's fingerprints on it, although she'll, you know, her behind the scenes, she'll certainly be shaping it. Uh, Kay Granger, top Republican on House appropriations. So I think generally the odds actually do favor an omnibus deal, but. You know, to, to say that the political pressures on the Republicans, have on anybody, have subsided. And don't forget, you're going to have all this leadership drama playing out. You know, who, who is going to be in charge next year on both sides, not just the Republican side. So there's just a lot of chaos. But I do think the odds favor a deal because, you know, again, it can be done. You don't necessarily need the blessing of um, – and McConnell's won. McConnell's safe. So, you know, the Republican leadership is, is – there's, there's continuity there. You know, the pressures are not as great on the Senate Republican side as they are on the House side. What, you know, it's more of an issue on the entitlements, but that's more of a next year issue. Yeah. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily going to kill an omnibus deal in this, in this uh, next month.
0: Now, we should say the omnibus talks may be complicated by uh, the new White House request for emergency money. As you pointed out, both for Ukraine and I think more importantly the COVID nineteen pandemic, because Republicans are really resistant to more pandemic aid.
1: Yeah, I think you'll probably see it play out the same way it did last time on the CR, the Continuing Resolution um, that got that's getting us to this n- new December sixteenth deadline. They dropped, all you know, the White House requested twenty seven billion dollars for uh, various, you know, mostly for COVID, but also for monkeypox and um, you know, that all got cut every penny of it. So, um, you know, I don't think the Republican antipathy has, uh, gone away on that topic. You know, this week we got indications that again, Republicans are not really interested in doing that. Now there's still, there's still a, a, you know, there's been a lot of stories and sort of noise over the last month about how oh Republicans don't want to help Ukraine anymore. That's not necessarily really the case. Um, there may have been some sort of, um, words uttered that may have been taken out of context and, and you know, said in, in, the, in not the most artful way. Um, but there's still a huge uh, willingness on the part of the Republican Party to uh, send more weapons overseas and to replenish the uh, uh, weaponry of the Pentagon, which, uh, by the way, has some major uh, contractors and donors uh, on both sides of the aisle, that yeah. uh, would would like to supply those contracts. So, although I think
0: know. although I think you're right, but I, I do think McCarthy was sensing some skittishness among his right flank about more Ukraine aid, with some conservatives expressing starting to s- s- express some grudging concern about how much money we're pouring in there, and that's why you saw him. Say that he doesn't want to give Ukraine a blank check, which which President Biden immediately pushed back on, saying, "No, it's not a blank check. There's plenty of restrictions on here on the yeah, money." Yeah,
1: there's there's a difference between a blank check and and, and zero and no money and zero all. dollars, no. right? Right. <laughs> no, I do think I there's do. A, there's think a we'll huge see. amount of daylight between sure. those statements, and so I sure. think a, I think a lot of this Republican's quote unquote, you know, skittishness has been really overblown.
0: So Ukraine aid likely to go forward, pandemic aid likely to get killed. They have to deal with that and, of course, settle the well, huge Well, you know, debate. pandemic
1: aid is a, is a huge issue for some of the top Democrats in these negotiations. So, you know, it's a give and take. So we'll yeah. see. You know, Democrats are going to have to, I mean, look, I mean, we're, we're putting out a very voluminous look at all of the appropriations bills. And, you know, you can see all of these, a lot of these social policy issues and other environmental issues. Issues policy riders that are typically in play in these spending bills, Democrats are going to have to give up a, a, a probably the vast majority of these items. Whether it's abortion, immigration, uh, endangered species act, there's so many different little uh, things, not so not so little, but so many policy issues that are, are sprinkled throughout the dozen spending bills that the Democrats are going to have to give way on if they hope to get these through the Senate. So you know, it's a give and take. Democrats are going to have to give up a lot. They're going to demand something in return from the Republicans. So part of that may be, you know, Biden wants 10 billion for COVID. Maybe they get four. So we'll just have to see. It's a give and take.
0: And defense spending is going to have to come up, right, to get a deal. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's already substantially up in the Senate. Um, we know that. I mean, you know, the, the, it's, no, it's no longer an argument between the Biden budget request and um you know and what republicans want it's it's an argument between the senate appropriations bills which are only you know seven billion below the the armed services bill and uh and and something higher than that you know something maybe even a little bit higher than the armed services bill so you know it's only a matter it's really just a matter of uh moving the dials on on defense spending at this point somewhere between 850 and you know 860 you know, which is going to be at least a ten percent increase over next year, uh, over over the previous year, is yeah. going to go in there, and so um, you know, the Democrats—they're just negotiating with themselves at this point, because uh, I mean that that argument is over. I mean, you know, and, and in fact, on the on this uh, NDAA on the House side, there was an amendment to restore a major chunk of that of that money as well. So, really, if you look at it that way, I mean, a majority of the Democrats opposed that amendment. on the House side. But still, you have both chambers and the armed services committees. The armed services bill that passed the House uh, is now way over the Biden request on defense. So, I mean, that argument is over. It's really just a question of, you know, a billion here, a billion there at this point.
0: Well, they have until December 16th to get this done. So a few more weeks, we'll see how that shakes out uh, to avoid having to do another stopgap measure or, or partial government shutdown. But Pete, let's also talk about the debt limit, because there's been so much discussion of it right now, and, and it's, it's Democrats have made clear how much they are really hoping they could lift the debt limit in this lame duck session of Congress. They've, they've talked about it repeatedly. I've always been kind of skeptical that they would do something a year in advance of when it might be needed. What are the prospects really for raising the debt limit? We know it. It doesn't really have to happen till maybe the middle, middle third quarter of next year, based on current assessments. Can they really do it this far in advance? Can they really get a bipartisan deal that would that would allow that to happen in the next few weeks?
1: Well, it doesn't look good, but I mean, the debt debt limit will get raised. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. Or suspended. You know, they used to suspend the debt ceiling all the time, so they right. wouldn't have to vote right. on it. The- specific dollar figure. Mitch McConnell kind of changed that in, uh, last year by demanding um, an actual number to go on the bill. So they put two and a half trillion and, you know, they did it in a way that no Republican had to actually <laughs> to vote for that. Um, so, you know, it's going to get done since the Obama administration, since 2011, um, when uh, the Republicans were in the majority for the first time in a while, and they really, you know, fought the Democrats tooth and nail on the debt limit. And, you know, it got to the point where we were about, we we're a few hours probably away from, uh, treasury having to, to miss some payments. And, um, you know, it got really, really dicey. And that's when they negotiated the deal that led to, you know, sequestration, um, in 2011. So after that, Barack Obama basically said, that's it, I'm done negotiating. I'm never going to, I'm not going to ever negotiate again on, on the debt limit. And, uh, and they didn't. You know, so there have not been any um, strings attached to uh, debt limit legislation ever since 2011. So, but now you have, you know, Republicans are, are back in control. You have a Democratic president again. Joe Biden is back in, in, you know, the, the uh, Biden was vice president back then. He obviously is president now. And now you have Republicans taking control of the House and, and a Democratic Senate, just like you did in, uh, in 2011. So there's just a huge amount of fear that we're going to go to one of these, you know, cataclysmic moments again.
0: Right. And we have and we have heard House Republicans say that they want to attach spending curbs to any deal on the de- on lifting right. the debt
1: limit. Right. But this gets this and this gets back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago, which is the fact that that stuff's all overblown. Because yes, I mean the the more the traditional Republicans, the Mitt Romney Republicans, all Always talk about entitlements. We got to do something about entitlements. Oh my God, the debt, the debt, the debt. We've got to do something about it. But you look at what happened with Trump Trump ran on a platform of not touching those programs. Okay. And you look at all the the demagoguery on the campaign trail by the Democrats when, you know, anytime somebody pointed out, oh, on on page 40 of the Republican uh, budget, the, the Republican alternative budget, they included a line that talked about raising the retirement age for Social Security and Medicare. And boom, that became a campaign ad that was run in districts all over the country and probably contributed to uh, the Democrats' you know, somewhat surprising uh, results last week in the election. So you combine the sort of Trumpian uh, wing of the party which says keep your keep you know keep your government hands off my Medicare, uh, and with the Democrats who never miss an opportunity to, you know, to score a political win on the entitlement question, and that adds up to absolutely nothing happening on entitlements, uh, you know, and certainly not uh, at the point of a gun when the debt limit deadline is staring down, staring at everybody.
0: I don't think we'll see anything on entitlements, but I, I, I think. I was wondering whether we would see another, I think McCarthy talked in terms of spending cuts, and also Jason Smith, the, the top Republican on the House Budget Committee, I think talked about trying to get more spending cuts uh, as a condition of raising the debt limit, which would sort of revive a sort of 2011 deal where you had the, the, the sequestration cuts um, for a decade. Um, we don't know exactly what they're envisioning, but...
1: Well, when you talk about spending, when you talk about spending, that's entitlements. The, the rest of it is dis- the rest of it is discretionary. So let's so let's so let's break this down.
0: Well, you, but you could have you could have budget caps on discretionary spending.
1: So but, so that's what you're asking me is whether or not they're going to cut discretionary spending again. Okay, so let's let's look at that. So I think you know you have basically that's really the only place you can go, um, and because they've done that before, they did that back in 2011. Now that was kind of a disaster, and it hit the Defense Department equally hard. You know, maybe even more so in in some respects than it did the non-defense side. So, you know, do Republicans really want to do that again with, you know, a potential conflagration, you know, over Taiwan or, you know, coming up in the next in the next couple of years? I I don't know. So I I just don't really think the Republicans have much of a leg to stand on uh, pushing for, um, you know, deep spending cuts of some. No, they have to say that. Of course, they have to say that that that's what they you know, that's their their that's what a lot of them ran on. Yeah, they've got they've got to say we're going to do something about the debt, and you know we're going to go after this wasteful spending. They have to say that, but you know, do they have the votes to do that? They certainly don't have the votes in the Senate. Now, you know, you may potentially get a a, a, mid, a, a Joe Manchin, um, maybe you know, th- there's some proposals out there that would create you know commissions to look at some of these trust funds, these entitlements.
0: Right. That's a Romney's, Romney's right.
1: got a bill. Angus King, the independent who caucuses with the Democrats from Maine. Romney and King have a bill that's you know gotten some attention. You've got senators like Bill Cassidy who've been trying to figure out a Social Security fix. Mick Mulvaney, former OMB director under, under Trump, has said, you know, we can't do anything on Medicare. That's too hard. But Social Security is actually kind of easy to do if you can just get people in a room and, and hammer it out. But again, you know the politics of that are just are just too rough. So you know I don't think you're going to see that. And then we we've done the discretionary cuts thing before, and that was a disaster. And they w- ended up waiving those cuts at the end of the day. They got rid, you know, no yeah. cuts ever actually. I mean, the cuts took place temporarily, but they were always uh, later, you know, uh, re- ameliorated by various budget deals. So um, you know, I, I just don't really see much happening here. And uh, Republicans don't have the votes for that. I mean, they might even lose... Look, I mean, McCarthy's going to have a three, four vote majority, probably. Um, so does he lose votes? on? He might lose votes on his side if they, if they try to do too much on spending cuts. Uh, so
0: point taken, Pete, on the spending cuts and how hard that would be. But do Republicans have much incentive to really get a debt limit deal done in this lame duck session? I mean, I don't really see what incentive they have to do it right now when they know... They know they'll be in power in the House next year and the deadline is until next year for the debt limit. Why give the Democrats this right now?
1: Well, if they get something in return, I mean, if they can get something like this Romney King bill attached to the omnibus along with the debt limit increase, I think that'd be enough. That's a face saving mechanism that's going to create these commissions to, you know, to look at these um, uh, some of these entitlement programs with their with trust funds. And um you know but again it's 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 all about what can happen between they're they're so preoccupied right now there's all this leadership drama um they've just got they've got to just do the the you know the housekeeping stuff and then they and they want to go home for christmas so you know we talked about can they do reconciliation again they could but it doesn't seem like the will is there you know i mean the white house is telling people that oh they don't think they have enough votes in the senate so um, you know, I mean, I think the house Democrats are, are, ready to go on reconciliation, um, to do it, but you know, they're it doesn't, it, it, it that's a headache for Schumer because of voteramas and you got to deal with Joe Manchin and all that stuff. So it just looks like they're going to run out of time this yeah. year.
0: And before we go, we should say now that the house, that now that Republicans are going to control the house again, they do have to decide on whether to continue with, with earmarks, the spending earmarks, uh, And it's a contentious enough issue, I think, that they punted on a vote that was expected to happen this week on that issue in the Republican conference. Sometime after Thanksgiving, they will return to that and take a vote on whether to continue earmarks after a decade-long ban that, you know, we've had earmarks back now for about two years under Democrats. Republicans have always been a little more resistant to restoring earmarks. Any guess how this shakes out? Sounds like Republicans have been playing along recently and and accepting a lot of earmarks. Certainly,
1: yeah, I think that was a, a tell that um, they are, you know, quite divided on this topic. And now the Democrats have hung on to the Senate, and you know, their Democrats in the Senate are probably full steam ahead on earmarks. I think this was an indication that um, you know earmarks are going to stay, and uh, you know, you had. Actually, a majority of the conference last year supported earmarks when the Democrats were in control of the Senate. And in fact, you know, as as our colleague Aiden has fleshed out, uh, looked at the numbers, support for earmarks among Republicans this this past year has only grown in the House so over the first year they did it two years ago. So uh, I think earmarks are going to end up staying. Now, of course, you know, don't hold me to that, but um, yeah. the vote, you know, the vote's off until after Thanksgiving, but. I think all the indications are that, um, you know, the conference is going to end up probably with a, a, a slim majority <laughs> among the Republicans in favor of earmarks, and they'll stay. And uh, whoever doesn't want earmarks can just not, not ask for them, which is how they've been doing it the last couple of years.
0: Okay. We will see how they vote on earmarks, but that's all the time we have for today. Peter Cohn, tax and budget policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again for being here, Pete. Thanks a lot, David. Till next time. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.